off top. Our sun, an entire solar system, is moving at 450,000 miles per hour around the Milky Way. Play the music. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. Charlie, what's up, man? Not much. How you doing? I'm good. So... I feel like the story of the weekend for the NBA is not the all-star weekend, at least for me. And maybe it's different for other people. But the thing that's been building is this impending uh, labor issue between the league and the players. And Charles Barkley has been seemingly the number one spokesperson for management, which uh, it just like, I don't know. I don't want to be like critical of Charles Barkley. Like he's a great player, hugely entertaining, but he just and it's not jealousy i guess okay in in charles defense i haven't said exactly what he said so i'm sure people are like confused but charles barkley's been like hard on the players for for um resting hard on the players for demanding trades hard on the players for kicking fans out who talk mean to them and he just generally has this air of like former player they're not as tough i think he said literally you guys are babying these guys and i don't know it rubs me the wrong way and i think there's two things that he's doing. One of them is possibly from a little bit of jealousy. And the other one is, I think, just stating what he believes to be a matter of fact, because he said the the um, the, the governors, the, the team owners, whatever we call them. I think the the players have decided that we're calling them governors now. So I'll respect that. But the governors are going to lock the players out. Yes. And that's partially Charles saying what he believes to be just a fact is they're going to lock him out over these issues. And part of it is, I think Charles is a little himself angry at the players for, I guess, sitting out mostly is what bothers him. And generally, like I get, I guess where, where this rubs me the wrong way is I don't disagree that players missing games is bad for the product overall. I agree with that. And I could even agree that, there's a level of player movement that is not good. I, like that makes sense to me. But where I start to have a hard time is when we blame the players for these things. And that's what upsets me. And all the proposals, I think you mentioned to me that they're making a bunch of proposals to, to try to force players to play more and making a bunch more. I know they, they're talking about midseason tournament to make those games matter. And they're trying to put these proposals in that'll make players play more games and make it sort of be harder for them to demand trades. The reason why it bothers me is why is the answer always to go after the players and not accept that the players are behaving rationally in a system that was created unfairly and this is just the outgrowth of them not liking players being able. I guess the way I view it is players have always had a in the NBA specifically, the top players have always had a bunch of leverage and a bunch of power. And the way they use that leverage and power um, in previous CBAs was to force teams to give them seven, eight year deals worth a ton of money. And so then the, the governors didn't like that. So they put, constraints on how long the contracts can be and so now the players are using other avenues to like enact their power it just feels like and it's always blaming the players like these players are soft these players aren't doing this these players aren't doing that like the load load management is like completely a completely rational reaction 
to the way that the system is set up and the way the environment is around them. And also, it was not created by the players. Like, load management, if I remember correctly, it was like the Spurs who were the first team to start doing load management. Like, everyone's model franchise was currently tanking. Uh, started to, like, try to game the system, which you have to recognize. And again, the reason why we do load management is because you don't need 82 games. And the answer to uh, so many games being irrelevant is not making them more relevant. So, like, it's just always a money chase for them, it seems like. So they add the the um, bubble and the pandemic leads to these play-in games. And they're like, oh, this is exciting. Let's add the play-in games. That just devalues the regular season even more. Because right now, all right, we got eight teams on both sides to get into the playoffs. And seven-game series all the way through. It's all about money. Having more playoff games, more teams in playoffs, more money. And it makes it so if half the teams get in, then the regular season is less valuable. Now we're going to expand it even more to get even more teams into the playoff by adding the play-in game, which makes the regular season even less valuable. And then the solution to all this is let's add some more damn games. Let's go with a mid-season tournament. Or I guess maybe they would take some games out and make the midseason tournament replace those games. But anyway, I feel rambly, and I know you're always good for pushing my buttons and probing and making sure that my points are are not just emotional. So please. Well, there's one thing that I really I want to get to, and that's I think you're saying that Charles Barkley and his exact quote um, from this weekend was more about the trade demands and load management, but he's touched on load management in the past. He said, you can't take my money and say you want a divorce in six months to a year. There's no doubt in my mind these guys are going to get locked out. And for me, Charles Barkley is siding with the fans, not not management. And to me, that's interesting because like the product is getting degraded in the regular season. Like we can both agree on that. It's not fun to watch games before Christmas. It's not fun to we were in Washington, DC. Would you ever buy tickets to a Wizards game before the day of? Like Giannis comes to town, he might sit out because they're playing a relevant franchise right now and it sucks from from my perspective that the fans have to be on the side of management in this but i also think that there needs to be a game plan solution like if there's a lockout that doesn't bleed into next season that might suck but i'm actually i'm from the fan perspective i'm okay with it if you figure something out is that wrong no i mean i think you make a good point is the person who loses or the the stakeholder that loses the most in this is the fan and I agree. I don't watch nearly as much basketball as I once did, in part because it doesn't feel like it matters to them and it doesn't matter to me. And uh, so, yeah, it's bad for us as basketball fans. I guess the reason why it all comes back to uh, the league and the governors for me is because like, I was in the leadership of that union in the NFLPA. I know who has the power. And while there are some players who have a disproportionate amount of power, overall, the leagues have the power. And you see it by how the revenue share has consistently gone down while the big time players in baseball and basketball and football are getting more and more money. The percentage of revenue that goes to the players has been going down for all major sports. And it's because the league has the power and the leverage to enact those things. So I guess the reason why... I, I accept that the person, the party, the stakeholder that gets hurt most is the fans. 
But then the question is why and where does the blame go? The blame, it feels like, always goes on the players. And Charles saying things like, you can't take my money and want to leave or you can't take my money and not play 82 games is also an implication there. Like, that is not the player's fault to me. It feels like the first, the load management point, like that's a system that was created by the league. Like the number of games, the play-in tournament, like all these things were created by the league. And the emphasis oh, in adding, having eight playoff teams makes each game less relevant. Uh, like that to me, and that's why I guess I always end up going back and looking at them. One, because I'm hopelessly biased. Is I'm a player and I've worked in unions and I believe in unions broadly, not just in sports. But two, because... I know how these things come to be. And to be clear, more money is good for everyone. The players, yeah. more money is good for them too. But that's not, that's not their chief motivation. You know, like the guys want to make money, but the guys want to win championships. Like that's the reason why you have low management from the player's perspective, in my view, and, and from the team perspective. But the thing is, is like, okay, there's, there's a lot here. First of all, mm-hmm. you're totally right. Um, the quotes we've heard from the players, CJ McCollum, Grant Williams, uh, Steph Curry, have all said load management comes from the teams trying to protect the team as best as possible to be in a good position for the playoffs. But the thing that I think I disagree with you on the most is load management is not a middle-class issue in the NBA. Like no one cares if the fourth or fifth or sixth or seventh man sits out. It's the star is coming to town on road games. And I think that's significant because we should talk about the numbers a little bit. They're up for a new TV deal. And they're going to get the NBA is going to get more than a billion dollars of an exclusive streaming deal. The TV deal they're looking at, this is they're looking to double it. That's supposed to be a 50 to $75 billion deal. That's going to be more money flowing into the NBA. while numbers and viewing of watching the actual game has stagnated. Yeah. The numbers have jumped a lot on YouTube. People are watching highlights and condensed games. And that's why Adam Silver has downplayed it, says it's not as big of a deal. He's sort of taking the player aside. But let's talk about the max salaries for a second, because right now the top max guys can make like $55 million in a season. $55 million. You're 35% of the cap, more than Patrick Mahomes. That's That's dozens of players in the league. When this cap goes up with the TV revenue, we're going to be talking about 80 to $90 million per year for some of these top players. We're going to be looking at Nikola Jokic or Anthony Edwards getting that amount of money. And I actually think it's the responsibility of the players and the league to figure out a solution to get these guys to be available when they go to other cities and people to see them. That's an obscene amount of money, even if it's not a fair split. It's We're talking like, you know, hedge well, fund CEO money. I don't, and, and the hedge fund CEOs don't deserve it. And the basketball yeah. players do, but I don't, I don't disagree with you, but I think th- for me, the question is, what are you paying for? Like this, see is, them. this for no, competitive league. Cause the league's competitive balance is off because because of the regular season doesn't matter. Wrong. You're not paying them. The teams are paying them. And the question is, what is the teams paying? What are the teams paying them for? What are the governors paying them for? What are the GMs paying them for? They're not paying them to play every single game. And it also like it, it comes down to one of the fundamental challenges in all of professional sports for me is that it's it's a business with two goals. And one is it's an entertainment property. So it's like a TV show. 
uh, or a movie franchise. And two, each team is trying to win. And so that's where, like, when you talk about how, like, sabermetrics is ruined baseball, it's because a lot more attention is put on winning than entertaining. And I don't know that basketball has the problem to that degree, but you do have that problem when it comes to the entertainment value. So, like, yeah, I'm not going to turn on – I'm old. So, like, I watch Martin every week when I was coming up. When I uh, On Thursday night, I watch Martin every week. I would be pissed if I turned on Martin and Martin wasn't there. Yeah. I get it. I get the point. But Martin had one goal, to get people to watch. He had one purpose, to have a successful television show. And so it made sense. And so the Fox was paying Martin to be on the TV show. That is very different from what, uh, let's say, Milwaukee is paying Giannis for. Like that's well, half of it. It's half yeah. of it. Because, because if the TV numbers aren't going to go up, isn't there going to be a bubble when this stops becoming as valuable of a proposition for networks to buy these rights? Okay. Well, I mean, I don't know that I would agree that it's half of it, but I don't think it matters what percentage of it it is. We can say it's half of it. We can say it's more. The fact remains that it's not all of it. Yeah. So, and when those things do not align. So the reason why, or one of the reasons why football works so well is because there are so few games that it aligns. The players yeah. want to play in every game. They need to play in every game. And also, like, the analytics has made the game more interesting and more fun. It's encouraged more fourth down. Like, these things are some of the reasons why I feel like football is more is better positioned than these other sports in the business framework. But they're hungry, too. They're adding games. They're going to keep adding games to the point where it might make sense. And nobody likes uh, that like Jalen Hurts set out the last several games of the year because they had it uh, under wraps. That's a rarity in football, but no one really likes it, but it doesn't happen enough for us to care. And it also feels like they earned it, you know? Like, it was earned. <laughs> you you got to the point where there's a reward at the end of the season because you beat so many people's asses that you don't have to play. I, well, it's I also because football's, football's so violent. Like, no one's, at, yeah. no one's looking at Jalen Hurts in that rugby scrum and being like, <laughs> he's he's sitting this game out because he doesn't want to he doesn't want to play on LA on a on a Saturday evening game. But yeah, I mean, I think that's what it comes down to is aligning uh those two goals. When you have a business with two goals that are equally as important, you got to figure out how to align all incentives so that those goals aren't in conflict. And they definitely are in conflict in a couple of our major American sports. Like entertainment value and like um, maximizing your championship potential. They seem like they're in conflict, especially yeah. when you have 82 games and this bled into baseball a little bit too. And they got so many more games, but at least they keep their playoffs a little smaller. So we should talk about options for a second for load management stuff. Cause I, one of the options shortening the season, everyone knows from a competitive standpoint and, and, and like making the games more valuable. That would be awesome. No one missed anything when it was a 66-game lockout season in 2012. Started on Christmas Day. It was fantastic. It felt meaningful. We don't think that the owners are going to let that, governors are going to let that happen. Mm -hmm. um, the second option, which has been floated, is aligning um, postseason awards, whether it's all NBA, MVP, et cetera, et cetera, with games played, a percentage of games played. I'm sure there are ways for people much smarter than me to make that about load management versus injury versus et cetera, et cetera, sitting out because you demand a trade. Um, if that, those awards 
become essential to getting a certain level of max contract. I don't know if I would be opposed to someone making $65 million versus $80 million if they don't reach those goals to fulfill their obligations to the fans. So we have to talk about forcing trades at some point based on yeah. Kyrie and KD's. Um, and that's the, that's the second part because that's about the competitive part of the league. That's aligning the second part of what you're talking about for sure. Right. So I what I don't appreciate is putting more limits on the players and more constraints on the players because of a problem that that the governors have created and can't really address. So like, to me, it, it's it like goes back to like a salary cap. The point of a salary cap is to control the people with the purse strings because they can't control themselves. And to me, it's unnecessary and it harms the players. And yeah, I'm not going to lose any sleep over 10 million here or there on a player's contract. That's worth 80 to 90 million i'm with you however what you what what we're looking at is the team owners who are like making hundreds of millions and billions in value and can't seem to show the discipline to give a little bit of that back or to change uh to take down the number of teams that make the playoffs all because they don't want to address they don't want to uh impact their revenue negatively so like that's what bothers me is it's not the idea of making the guys like air quotes earn this money that doesn't bother me at all it just bothers me that when there's a problem with the system the 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 stakeholders who inevitably always have to pay the price are the players the ones who are already and so yeah lebron and these super mega rich players the thing about the the reason why like I, I like see nobility in even sports unions, because I know like people look at athletes and they're like, all right, millionaires and some of them are and spoiled, whatever. That may be true of some of them. But I guess the way I view it and I know this from my own experience in my own life and from teammates is. It means so much to so many people and like if 1% of the revenue goes to the players, that's money that goes to most likely a young man who was middle-class to lower before himself. He lifts himself to a better situation. Then it trickles down to his kids and it spreads out to his parents and his aunts and uncles. Like I, I paid to get, when we had the recession, my, a couple family members had their homes near foreclosure. I kept them out of foreclosure and like, uh, and paying for school for other people's kids and doing stuff like that. And I guess that's what I envision when we're talking about taking money from the players is like, that's the money we're taking. And who are we giving it to? We're giving it back to the guys who uh, have inherited a team worth billions of dollars or bought a team worth billions of dollars. So like, that is like the, what is foundational all this, why I get like so offended at this. Cause yeah, I mean, whatever. LeBron doesn't need another phantom. I agree, but but if but if I say like I don't, I don't like from the fan perspective, I'm not rooting for the owners to win this yeah. dispute. I yeah, would rather fair. it be like a fifty. Okay. I don't know what's what. No, the no, no. Is. I get your point. I get your percent revenue goes to the players. Forty eight. Yeah, the, you guys don't care. Million, whatever. Yeah. Fans don't care where the money goes. They just want like competitive games with the top players playing and all that stuff. Like I get that. I understand that. 
But I guess my point is when we start thinking about solutions, let's think about the solutions that are actually more effective, not the solutions yeah. that are that are um, like come down from on high. <laughs> and that's what it feels like is the rather than addressing the the actual um, factors that create the problem. They're like, let's put a Band-Aid here, put a Band-Aid there. And inevitably, the Band-Aids restrict the players' rights. They don't make it. So, like, I guess the fundamentally what I think it comes down to is the incentives aren't aligned to win and entertain. Those aren't aligned. So change those incentives. Don't punish the players. Well, so if it was, say, the revenue split was positive for the players compared to, to management, and then these stipulations were put in place to sort of encourage more players to not sit out or teams i should rephrase it teams to not right. sit players out right um and because that is part of it i mean you think of the oklahoma city thunder they shut down shea gilgis alexander so early last year and mm -hmm. we see now he's one of the 12 right. best players in basketball that is on the team not the mm -hmm. players but sh if if the revenue split is shifted in a way would you be more in favor of no. rules no i wouldn't <laughs> because i think what all the rules to me seem like is is like I mentioned, they're band-aids. The actual problem is honestly, the solution to the problem probably brings down revenue for the league overall. Like that's the actual solution to the problem is less playoff teams, uh, fewer games, fewer playoff teams. That makes it so the games are more important. Like you remember the bubble, like how exciting that was. Yeah. It was like that is a scenario. And like you mentioned, the the 62 game season they had like. I don't know. I think that's the actual answer. I think it's uh, ridiculous. It's a pipe dream to think that either party would would uh, enter into a situation. And, and that's probably a fair criticism of the players is I don't know that it's ever been put on the table because the governors would never put reducing games or reducing playoff teams on the table. But I suspect that if it was put on the table and then it was explained to the players like, OK, well, this is going to mean a reduction in revenue. My guess is the players would be like, nah. I, I'm good. Let's keep playing these games. I'll figure it out. So, yeah, I guess the players, if I'm being try to be as generous as I can, the players would should they had if they were ever presented with the opportunity or the option to reduce games. I guess that the players would say, nah, let's let's keep these games. So they probably are responsible for it also. But I don't know how you change these incentives, particularly for the star players, because they're so in basketball in particular, they're all quarterbacks. And so like we judge them immediately by playoff success championships yeah. or not. So like nobody is going to look back and say, I I've yet to hear someone talk about the NBA Ironman record. Like we did for Cal Ripken. Like no one cares. <laughs> We're we not just like, did. no, 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 no. We, we just did talk about that. Cause it's not games played. It's the scoring record. No LeBron's scoring record is the Ironman record. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. But it's not a result of him. Like he missed games in that process. He was hurt. He'd he more than he, anyone. He, 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 he's the most durable player ever. Agreed. The most durable player ever who also did load management. Like he did Barely. these things. See, but he was Barely. doing it. The point, the point I'm making is that that's not something we celebrate. It's not something that we value. 
LeBron James would would trade that uh that scoring title, and it's not even. I mean, you're you're cheating by using the scoring title as a Iron Man award. That is the Iron Man record. He is the worst no, 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 argument for load management because he should have. He does not load manage. I'm not arguing that he is a load manager. I'm just making the point that no one cares about that. That's not how he's going to be remembered. No one is out here talking about who played the most games and who missed the fewest games. It's not what we talk about. And saying that his points record is evidence of that is, is fudging the math, but it's fine. You can give that to him. And I'm still sure that he would trade that for a couple more titles because that's how we measure these guys at the end of the day. We remember Charles Barkley as being great, but not winning championships, not for playing a bunch of games. Like that's just how it is. And until we change the way we feel about that and we celebrate them for how entertaining they are week to week, then the incentive is never going to be there to show up for a midseason game against San Antonio the same way you would uh, night after night in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, so for me, wins are a superstar stat. I don't think that's an unfair way to judge these guys also because they're five guys in the court. It's different than no, 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 having no, no, a defense no. I don't, and all that So, stuff. yeah, I don't disagree with you on that point. But when it comes down to superstars, mm-hmm. how, how we separate the superstars is not regular season wins, Charlie. It's not. It's championship wins. Okay, so if, if, you're, if you're a big enough star that people are buying tickets just to see you play, then you're also somebody who is concerned about playing your best at the end of the season, and you're going to miss some games here or there. It sucks, but we have to understand. I, I don't know. I think I get defensive because... Um, and this is why I like am slightly like annoyed with the Charles Barkley stuff is because it's an argument that suggests that these players are different or like they're different people than the rest of us. They're reacting. They're responding to the incentives. They're rational actors in this. Like these are the incentives. They're responding to them properly. And we should change the incentives if we want a different outcome and not say that people who are behaving rationally are are selfish or babies or whatever that's all yeah i mean i i just think there's a middle ground between like yeah. lobbing you know personal insults at that like the the entire swath of players and mm-hmm. and sort of adjusting the system because it's like you can be frustrated with turning on tnt and having to watch a clippers team without Kawhi and paul george and not think of them as babies like it right. can it can absolutely be both is there any value to the idea that it prolongs careers I don't know. I don't know if there's enough research to that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it seems like, at least right now, we are the the sense is that it's not even keeping players healthier yeah. in the course of their particular season. Which I'm not sure that there's been. Have you seen any like real legitimate studies? It's just all anecdotal. I I I think it's anecdotal. It's also like you okay. You go back to the Spurs. You look at Tim Duncan. It's like he load managed. He also lost a ton of weight over the course of his career to become like right. pliable and durable um yeah. in, into his late 30s i i don't think that we know and yeah. i don't even think that we know necessarily the players play better in the playoffs if they'd load manage in that year it's there, yeah there weird. has to be some sort of like psychological phenomenon uh, or, or title for this particular phenomenon where we we try to attribute outcomes to one variable when there are a yeah. bunch of different variables because i think that's a lot what happens with this conversation I know uh, Van Gundy had that tweet that <laughs> KD responded to and he got confused by where it was like, yeah, it's, it seems about right. He, he tweeted about how everyone's man- load managing, but injuries are up. And 
are we sure that this is working? And I think the answer is no, we're not sure that's working, but we're not sure that the other way was working either. Well, this is the other part of it, which is that there have been so many, and now I'm going to take your side going at the old guys where they talk about how the game was so much more physical in the nineties. And like MJ would have been clotheslined at the rim. It's like, Hey man, these guys are faster. They're cutting more. They're covering more of the corks. They have to run out on every single three pointer. Um, The pace is up. The game is more physical on a night to night basis. Also because these guys don't want to be James Harden where their defensive lowlights are spammed on social media because they aren't guarding anyone. Like, That's the reason injuries are going up. Anybody who's watched a, a um, regular season playoff game or regular season basketball game now and watch a regular season basketball game from the 90s, you can see the different physicality. Uh, yeah, there's less likely to be real punches thrown. Now. Hard fouls are not the same as full game yeah. physicality. That's yeah. a, that's been conflated, and those are not the same. Boom. That's, that's the thing. And when you watch the – I think defense in particular, the point that you made – is I don't think that players are like noticeably that much more explosive offensively or they're taxing themselves that much more on the offensive end. It's the defensive end where you watch the way that the defenses rotate and watch the way that they close out and watch the way that they fight through over and under screens. And like, it just, and you see the offenses that are run and yeah, it's, it wears on your body a lot more uh, than those previous iterations where you could take a break on defense. They weren't spreading the floor. <laughs> like you would throw it down. Most teams, their their first option was to throw it down to the block to a center and everyone else stood around and watched while he worked. <laughs> like that's, yeah. and, and that over course of an entire season, that like relative rest adds up compared to over course of an entire season where everybody on the floor can run and shoot. <laughs> and there is no, there's nowhere you can hide on defense. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash df today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash df. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur. Barnstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up hypnotic and cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And... Boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, 
poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, so do you want to do the trade stuff too? Yeah, we should talk about this just because this is where Adam Silver said that public trade requests are corrosive to the system when they play out that way. Kevin Durant said that they're good for the league. Kyrie Irving obviously said that they are good for the league. Um, and this is, I think this is going to be another thing that we dis- we disagree about because I actually think it's starting to become like, yeah, we go nuts when KD gets traded to Phoenix. But for a lot of the part, I don't think it makes the league more competitive more fun or more interesting um i think it makes it more interesting i, I don't know that we will disagree um i guess uh, when katie gets traded or there's a big trade like that or there's trade demand i don't feel like they're that often but and they also aren't like the the six month to a year thing that uh charles barkley said like that's not an accurate thing i was looking and i probably don't have an exhaustive list I was looking at a lot of the like major trade demands and they were from players who had been in situations for a long time, like Harden in Houston. I'm sure his situation in and And uh, again in Brooklyn. Yeah. in Brooklyn wasn't nearly as long, but I think we can excuse anybody in Brooklyn, honestly, like that you're on team on a team where things were, we don't have to excuse them. We'll just say that to me, it feels like it's an aberration. And they're guys who are committed long term and then eventually want to move. It doesn't feel like and maybe it's soon after they've signed an extension. But to me, that again, it seems like when you have someone who is or someone or something that is so hugely valuable, then like you have to do what you have, what you have to do to build the relationship and make them believe in what you're doing. And that's part of the job of a modern NBA head coach and general manager. And by that, it does not mean like kowtow to their every whim it just means build well, this is around this it. is this is different because this is we're now getting into the carmelo anthony of it all because yeah. this was not a thing until carmelo re-signed in new york to take more right. money than he could have taken as a free agent demanded a trade a year later right. and i think that's where it gets really messy because i actually do think in the cba they should put in right now they have six months you sign the that max contract you sign the extension you can't be traded for six months i think that should be two years and the teams and the players should agree on that because it's like, this is a commitment of what's going to be an insane amount of money. And I'm looking at the NBA top 75 now, and it's guys from this modern era and just going through the list. A lot of the guys from this modern era actually have this, have demanded trades. You've got just going through the list in alphabetical order. Ray Allen demanded a trade. Kobe Bryant demanded a trade. Anthony Davis demanded a trade. Uh, Kevin Garnett demanded a trade. Um, Kawhi Leonard demanded a trade. Um, Russell Westbrook demanded a trade, like Chris Paul. All these situations are not created equal. 
So like, and not each, all these players each, were each one in a vacuum is defendable. It's just the, right. the totality of it that's making these teams. So, so and volatile. I guess this is this is this goes back to like the I'm so glad we're having this conversation because it's helping me clarify um, my opinion on all this stuff is why is the solution always to restrict the players? Restricts like, the teams too, though. They yeah. sign that deal with that person. They can't chip them out in those first two years, even if it's a bad contract. Have like run your organization the way you're supposed to. And you don't have to trade them because they've demanded a trade. Like to me, it feels like mm-hmm. in, in lieu of KD didn't get traded when he demanded a trade. And it seems like in lieu of Ooh, he had to wait four months. Well, I mean, they, they traded him when they wanted to trade him when they, I mean, he got traded because Kyrie was doing Kyrie things. Like that's why he ended up getting traded because they realized it was over. They would have kept him and they would have made a run for the championship if Kyrie could have kept it together. So I, he didn't get traded because he demanded a trade. You got traded because the experiment was over. But my point is, do your job up until that point, and then you don't have that situation. I think there, I, I, I do not think that Steph Curry is like particularly benevolent. He's not like some different type of guy. He was in, he's in a situation where they've been taking care of him the entire time, putting the right players around him and building something that that's not why he hasn't forced his way out. Maybe he, maybe he's just the type of guy who never would have the same thing with, um, with Giannis. Like there, there are guys and it's the same thing. Like I, I I don't want to remove that pressure. And that's what it seems like to me is I want, and I agree there is, you can't have, I think this is what it boils down to is you can't have the good without the bad. And there are some teams like LeBron's the first, what, six, seven years of LeBron's career. Malpractice. Malpractice. We were robbed. We yeah. were robbed. And I would rather live in a world where I have to deal with occasional um, James Harden forcing a trade or demanding a trade than live in a world where Luca is going to have to be in Dallas for an extended period of time and then not build anything proper around him like that to me is and that's what it boils down to is it you for me it seems like they want the reward without the risk but the the, the thing that i disagree with the, the problem here is that if you use steph curry as an illustrative example he didn't one it was a complete fluke he hurt his ankles he got that four-year mm-hmm. 44 million dollar deal that was half right. of the max salary the cap spike they're able to sign, sign kevin durant beyond that though like all the the only thing these teams can do really is sign the players that they draft at the top of the lottery to max contracts. That's the best way they can build stars, homegrown stars. But the thing to me is like Steph Curry didn't meddle. He let Bob Myers and Jerry West build a dynastic team around him. The, the where it gets really messy is when you get someone like James Harden who's like, give me Chris Paul, no Russell Westbrook, no Dwight Howard, no build this entire team of three point shooters to highlight what I want. Then I'm going to demand out. Or Kevin Durant being like. I'm going to build this situation in Brooklyn. And really, Kyrie is more of the problem than Kevin Durant. He doesn't actually deserve my, my scorn here. But so, I'm going to build this situation. I'm going to call myself a co-manager with Josiah and, and Sean Marks and then demand out because they don't want me posting links to anti-Semitic movies. It's like okay. the, the, the bigger thing is you can't create the situation, the demand out. That's so unfair to the team and the fans. So I, the Harden situation, and uh, you're saying that Daryl Morey wasn't making decisions. Well, he Daryl Morey would not have traded multiple end. first round picks for Russell Westbrook. That was what that's what James Harden wanted. You're talking about at the end, 
at the end. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, well, it's it's like not... the, the end is like a last four years of that whole that whole run. All right. Well, I, I'm not going to argue with that with you on that because I don't remember all the details of it. But it did not feel to me like that was a situation that was happening routinely. You point out this oh, example. Yeah. And this like, is the highest level of this. The highest and, level. And what KD what KD built in in Brooklyn was not something that anyone was opposed to. Nobody was mad about that. They were appreciative. And then when it didn't work out, then everybody's upset. But it did. It would have worked. Either he just way, decided he went middle school and was like, I don't know. Nah, we're done with this. We're not friends anymore. This is like, that's what they did. Either way, it doesn't matter. The point is, if there are some bad things that come from this, I mean, that's part of being a grown up is accepting that you can't have everything, you know, like you can't have a fast car that can also tow. Like you have to give up some stuff. There has to be some give and some take. And for me, like there's a price for everything. And I am more comfortable with the price being sometimes players a very select few of the top players can make a situation bad and leave. I'm better with that than being in a situation where a player, a great player is stuck somewhere because the, the rest of the teams can't control themselves. They can't manage things. Well, he's stuck somewhere and has his career kind of ruined and us be robbed of, someone having deep playoff runs because they are in a bad spot. So like that, I don't know. That to me is what it sounds like. Like do a better job, draft better, develop your players better, spend money there. Like that's get coaches. Like those are things that you need to do. Don't complain about the players because the players are going to go to, again, if you assume that they're rational actors and maybe they all aren't rational, but as a whole, the superstars are going to go places where they can win and where they can be happy. Create that place and they'll go there and stay. And, and largely, I agree with that. But when you when the player creates the situation, picks the teammates, decides to shift Jared Allen out because he wants DeAndre Jordan to start, picks the coach and Steve Nash, then fires the coach and Steve Nash. It's just really hard to be empathetic when he's like, I want to go elsewhere because he chose that in free agency. That's the point That's of free agency. There's no, there's no I, franchise tag for this reason. I'm not going to argue with you on that. That was a bad situation, but this is to my point about us being grownups. Yeah. That, well, that sucked. Like, that sucked. Also, I, I'm with you. I think like you want to see someone who didn't trade them and they won two more championships. LA didn't trade Kobe Bryant when he was in a parking lot on a flip phone right. being like, trade yeah. me. Um, but that, but that gets villainized too. Cause then it's yeah. like, if you're on the side online of saying they should keep this guy and not trade him, you are forced to side with management. And it's like, no, I'm for, I'm siding with I want my team to win, and having yeah. Kevin Durant on my team gives me a better chance. And to this win. isn't new. Like, didn't Kareem force a trade? Didn't Magic yeah. get a coach fired? And Wilt yeah. forced a trade? Like, this isn't this isn't new. This idea that these players, I think the the period in the '90s, '80s, in the '90s, there was less player movement. I guess the that includes um, uh, Magic the '80s, but there was less player movement, and that was also a time when I believe the percentage of salary was hugely in favor of the player, I mean, of the superstar player. And so when you give them that money, you take some of that power away. So until you remove max salaries, remove the salary cap, uh, I just think you also have, whether you know it or not, once you take that stuff away, you are giving them other power and other leverage, and they're going to use it. Yeah. All right. Good times. All right. Time for Roses and Thorns. Maybe if we have any time left. He's so good. How has Dominique been lately? Bad or good? Let's find out. This is Roses and Thorns. Roses and Thorns time with 
Ashley. The other Foxworth. The other one. Not everyone's favorite. Only my favorite. The other one. I am your favorite. And I love that about you. I like your mm-hmm. taste, you know. I like the kids too. <sighs> Some days. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's right. I was but um, I made them. So I still get to be your favorite. I mean, I was there, at least at the beginning. I didn't do all the the hard nine months in between, but I took the snap. I took the snap. Today I was feeling like, because guess what, guys? Okay, here, I'll get it out of the way. My thorn is about myself. It's my immune system. I seem to be catching another cold. I was up all night, just a stuffy nose, but like, I'm a really light sleeper. And actually, if there people have tips on how they sleep with a stuffy nose, I think it was because I was so tired. But literally, Dominique, like as one, not both nostrils would get full and then I'd be trying to breathe through my mouth. I would either feel so sleepy that I convinced myself that I felt like I wasn't getting enough oxygen or I actually wasn't getting enough oxygen. Like, of course, because I'm a psycho at the start of COVID, I bought everything yeah. they recommended. So somewhere I have that thing that reads your oxygen levels when you put it on your oh, finger yeah. that we've never opened. Like, and I have no idea where in my hoarding closets it is. But during the night I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> like falling out of consciousness. But I think it was that I was trying to fall asleep, but I was so scared that, that I wasn't dying? breathing oh, while gosh. I was sleeping and I was dying that then I would wake myself up and then actually just not be able to breathe and not be able to sleep again. So I needed know where that is for tonight to make sure that I'm alive. So I don't have a cold. I have a horribly stuffy nose. And if anyone out there has tips on how to sleep with it more effectively than I can, because that's like my worst cold symptom is the sleepiness from my stuffy nose. Please send them to Dominique's Twitter, tweet him (laughs) at him, and he's going to send them to me. I am on Instagram. That's my only social media. I got one of those Navaj things. I know that looks so nasty though. That's the thing that like yeah, oh, like, and like you know, I'm prone to vomit when I see gross things. <laughs> yeah, you um, well, there was some bodily fluids you had to clean up around. Oh my god, that you were, I was dying because you just. Huh? And I was like, no, I can do it. I can do it. So this was like a week and a half or so ago. My youngest had a stomach bug, and I had the nerve to be like, oh, and she was spitting up and having died. We lost so many pairs of pajama pants. Like she was, and she doesn't. But like, it was that bad, right? So I'm not going to spell it out, but you get what I'm saying. Um, it was like the first time this has ever happened to her. And she's like, she doesn't know what's happening. She's like all upset. And then she's like vomiting everywhere. And so I had the nerve to be like, well, I can't help with the vomit, but I can help with, and a couple of them were like new Valentine's pajamas. Then just one other favorite pair of pajamas, those red tie-dye ones that Yasmin got her that she really didn't want to let go of. So I was like, okay, mommy can do it. Mommy got this. I was like, I can't do the vomit, honey. Don't worry. I can do this. I almost died trying to clean those pants. y'all. Um, I, they should have gone in the trash, but I respected my baby wanting to have her matching pajama sets, even though she sleeps in Nike shorts and t-shirts most of the time trying to be like her brother. Yeah. But, um, but anyway, yeah, I don't do bodily fluids. So I don't know, but maybe I'll try the Navaj, but it seems like you would just have to keep redoing it. Like stay up all night and do that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, is it, is it the congestion? Is it always mucus or is it like swelling or something because i feel like sometimes i don't know i'm not a doctor despite the fact that i have been studying being a doctor on Grey's anatomy for 19 seasons i don't know that people here know how obsessed you are with Grey's anatomy you're as great your relationship with Grey's anatomy may be the strongest relationship we said we were going to do a black history no offense but i think it might be we said i was going to bring some black history month fire today and honestly i have not yet but here's my black history month fire it is that it's both being proud of me and being proud of Shonda Rhimes. We were at an event, like a gala for the opening of the NMAAHD National Museum of African-American History and Culture. I got that acronym, go me, like some years ago, maybe like six or so years ago, five years ago. I don't know, whenever it opened DC, it's the most magnificent museum. But we were there and it was like a gala downstairs and it's like a party, open bar, you know, 
was great, but the museum was open. It was people who like donated, like, um, and they'd had separate people who donated like a lot of money, um, like the night before and earlier in the day, like Oprah and shit was there, right? But people like that were there. And then this later on was for people who donated, like, not nothing, but not like what Oprah and Shonda Rhimes donated. So given that I'm married to the man I'm married to, and I love him, and I just want to be by his side, even though like some of my family and friends were at the gala, he was like, oh, the museum's open. I want to see the museum. So everyone else, like, and I was wearing heels and like museum floors, guys, no, if you ever go to a gala or a fancy or any event in a museum, don't wear heels. They tend to have like really uncomfortable floors, like concrete floors. So anyway, my feet were killing me um, since we weren't just sitting down at the table. We were walking through the museum and there's a section in there on like Black Americans and TV, I think. So Oprah's in it. Like it has a section on Shonda Rhimes. Guess who the f the only like four people in that room were is Dominique kept me leaving the gala to go look through the museum. And she obviously wasn't there for the gala. She was in jeans because she was like, I've been here already probably at the Rich People Gala. Um, Y'all are at this basic thing, but I just want to show my daughter something real quick. Do you remember that? Guess who it was? Shonda Rhimes. And did I act a fool? Did I say no. like, and she was like, there was stuff about her in there and she was in there looking at it. And then just me oh, and Dominique God. were there. And I and I think she was with one of her daughters. So I was like, I don't want to like, or like she was with a small, a child, I think. Um, that I think I, I know I remember, obviously. I'm not forgetting this episode in my life, but like she is amazing. She has brought so much joy to so many people, namely me. And obviously she has a lot of shows, Bridgerton, like nothing like Grey's though, but Grey's, which I'm not sure of this, how to get to away me, with it's murder, original, how to get away with murder, private, private practice. practice. Yes. I mean, and like so many characters, so many people, but like Grey's Anatomy, like really actually later on, I'm I gonna... think we, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I feel like we need to, at least not everyone is up on grays as you are. <laughs> and I think people should know why this is such an important week in grays. I believe history. it's the 19th season of grays. That's which, not like, why this week is important. Though. I know. This, I'm just giving some background. My beloved Ellen Pompeo week. I've been watching grays anatomy since I was in college. Um, and I believe it's been 19 seasons. Yes. I'm right about that. I just fact checked on Google. It's been 19 seasons. It starts with, it's called Grey's Anatomy. My kids are always like, so obviously it's named after Meredith Grey. Yes, it's also named after like a book called Grey's yeah. Anatomy or some shit, but it's about the Grey's. And Meredith is like, she started as an intern um, and you like track her career. And it's like, she's definitely flawed. Like no character that you can love for 19 years is perfect. That would be boring. But she's just like amazing. I feel like she's my best friend. And like I follow Ellen Pompeo on Instagram. And I also feel like we're buddies. Um, yes. Ellen Pompeo is the actress who plays Meredith. Still haven't said why this week is And important. it is her last, there it's her go. goodbye episode. And like, they're like, oh, maybe she'll come back and visit sometime because she's not dying. So actually what I'm doing right now, what I decided when I woke up really sleepy, but like also could not go back to sleep because my nose hurt. I'm going to go back and rewatch all the times that Meredith almost died. Um, and then maybe some other times too, because she almost died so many times, right? Like you almost were like, oh my God, she's leaving us but you're like nah i saw is she gonna die in this episode or is she just no gonna, she's like, not she's away. moving to oh. boston for the sake of her family great good good for you for being a <sighs> that's good what mom. you think but why can't the show oh my god what if we're right what if secret i mean grace don't grace never grace never just comes with it straight they're gonna they might curveball you you coming right. in getting all comfortable and then they're gonna make you cry at the end but honestly, definitely going to make you cry then. Like that's oh, uh, either that's way. I was upstairs bawling, watching her not die when she drowned. Like she oh, drowned yeah. for a lot of hours and they resuscitated her for a lot of hours. She was dead, but she wasn't dead till she was warm and dead. So once they got her warm, they managed to bring her back to life. Can so I cried during that. Even one though I thing knew 
just are you gonna it's not Grey's Anatomy. no 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 we can stay on Grey's Anatomy I would like to talk about the weirdness when you're on for 19 seasons uh even Shonda Rhimes gets a little weird and the musical don't, episode don't even the start. musical episode was that a thing I, I got into Grey's with you um yes you were living with me ago. for that period um no that one was new back I think when you were living with me for a little bit when I was in law school law and school, your season yeah. with the Falcons was over and I was like why does he have to see this live but also the other ones that you used to hate that were weird which were totally explained logically when we found out that Izzy had a brain tumor oh yeah and so she that was causing her to hallucinate but she would see her her ex her, this guy that she had fallen in love with as a patient I mean like got engaged to died um and but then like she started seeing him and like like there were like sex scenes with the ghost basically but i mean he wasn't a ghost <laughs> actor and dominique was like this is ridiculous this i know was, like, before I, that it was, had been explained that but was also was, before i was uh, a seasoned tv writer and i didn't realize how difficult it was you're in the guild you're you're so fancy <laughs> right. but no i would literally watch them and this was the saddest part i would i don't think you were living with me then but i would call and be like <gasps> If yeah. you die, can you please come back to me? Um, and he'd be like, and I was so serious. Like, I can rewatch yes. those episodes now and feel the same way. Like, you better pass me in the hallway and let me feel a tingle. Um, or you best <laughs> like come back I'm fully sorry. and let me just like do you realize you how night. do you realize like um how outrageous that could be for someone who was not watching Grey's Anatomy? And guys, if you're not watching Grey's Anatomy, you should. And I just mean at the time you would call me out of nowhere and be like, if you die, would you make sure that you come back and talk to me? What? What are you talking about? But you knew the deal. You knew what was happening and where this was coming from. I did. And please don't make me have to have a brain tumor for you to do that. So just come back to me. Um, But actually, here's where I think I'm a little bit sane. Right. So so I do have a thorn. I mean, a rose for you. And I'm going to say it real quick and then I'm going to be done with it because you know me, I love to follow a rule. And if this is called roses and thorns, I'm going to have a rose and a thorn. The thorn was my immune system. The rose is that you took our kids to the Maryland Purdue game last week. And I was so, I was at a board meeting for Maryland and like normally they're in college park, but once a year they're in Annapolis. So I was in Annapolis, which is only like an hour away, but the meeting wasn't over till after the time the game started. Like I didn't feel like driving in to meet you guys. And another meeting started at 8am the next morning. So I just stayed out in Annapolis that night and you took the kids and Maryland beat Purdue. And then Purdue at the time was ranked third in the country when Maryland beat them and Maryland's unranked. So it was a big deal. And so people stormed the court. I was so worried that Declan was down there because my son seems like somebody who would like be like, yeah, that's fun. I'm gonna go go down there with all these college kids and get like, like he, when he gets older and doesn't have parents with him, will be a court stormer. I was like calling you frantically just to make sure that you had Declan and he was. Oh, not- I didn't realize that's why you were calling. I yeah, thought it was all weird. I wanted. Yeah, you're like, I just want, are you guys at the car? I was like, the game just ended. Like, no, we're not at the car, but that's what it was. Gotcha, but once cause... I found out that Declan wasn't on the court, because like the, it's on the screen and the whole, and like I'm with all the board of trustees members, the president of Maryland. Oh, I got left. something good. I'm glad you brought this up. So I'm this, so happy. Anyway, this is, a, this is a, a great one to end on. Is Oh, no, because we have to get back to some Grey's Anatomy thoughts. Go oh, ahead. We have more Grey's Anatomy thoughts? Okay, so um, Rose is for you, all of them. You're great. You took all the kids out of the house yesterday and gave me a few hours by myself, which you know, I. Oh, it's the biggest could... gift. His love language is time without his children. <laughs> I mean, it's without not just anyone, that, without anyone, without me too. Time. Yeah. It's a long time. Oh, yeah. I, I wanted to show you so much gratitude when you got home. And instead, I was like, I can't breathe. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, um, okay. Also, hold on. No, I was making another point. I, I was saying that when you brought up the game, it reminded me how 
I said something to you earlier in the week. I think I said that part of, oh, I was saying that when it was uh, Valentine's Day, I had, I was really busy, but I was like, I'm going to make dinner in between uh, me doing these things. And you were like, no, just order it. And I was like, no, I have to make it for you. And you're like, no, I don't care if you order it or you make it. It doesn't matter. And then I said to you, no, people appreciate seeing other people struggle. <laughs> I know. I was like, I don't actually. And you were like, no, I don't actually. That doesn't make sense. That's stupid. That's not my love language. And then while you when um you were going before you left for the your Annapolis getaway, it became clear <laughs> that you do enjoy watching me struggle because Listen I was like this, y'all. <laughs> right, he says my Annapolis getaway. I it was like literally less than 24 hours. I had set him up for success. I had a babysitter coming in the evening, either to a five tickets to this Maryland game, a babysitter and or my sister coming in the evening, either to accompany him with all three kids to the game or to keep the youngest at home because she can be kind of whiny and get motion sick. So it just and not she's not into basketball. So it seemed pointless to bring her. I had arranged all this. Right. I had already taken out their clothes for school the next day. All he had to do, I told him, like, pick this child up at this. And unfortunately, that night there were three different pickup times that happened sometimes. But I was like, but they were all doable. Wasn't impossible. So it's like pick this kid up at this time from here, then take this kid here, then pick this kid up. Then like I had written it all out for him. Why does this man, I'm gonna be respectful. Why does this wonderful man who I adore, who and then I, I did admit that I felt bad about feeling a way about it, but why do I go down to tell him goodbye? And he I was saying something about what time Jasmine, our wonderful, amazing babysitter, was coming later. And he said, Oh no, I, I texted her, I told her she might not have to come because. I called my parents and asked if they would come stay with me for the night. He was with them for like, what was it? 18 hours. It wasn't even 24. And he had called his parents who, mind you, both are still working. So like had to make changes to their schedules and like cancel clients or whatever to come help him. And so I felt bad. So I just kind of side-eyed. I was like, huh? I didn't side-eyed. I just, like my head kind of felt no, no, like no, that confusion. wasn't it. That wasn't no, it. No, no, no. But here's the thing. His mother who loves him. His mother loves this man so much. I, when I talked to her on the phone, she called me. She's like, oh, you're back. That's so cool. You're on the border of streets. I didn't know that. It was weird being in the house without you. We had a really nice chat. But And she didn't say, I didn't want to say, like, why'd y'all come help him? But she said, I was really confused, though, when Lorenzo, that's his father, told me we were driving down to help Dominique with the kids. I um, side eyed him so bad. I said, help him with what? He can't stay alone with his children for 24 hours. Ashley's with them every week, multiple days alone. Oh. And I was thinking, thank you, Karen. Women know your father actually thought you needed help. Your mother and I were like, this is ridiculous. But you know what? I'm happy that you had some help. Let's tell the truth. What happened was that's my when, truth. When, when you came down, truth. I'm telling her you, truth, am I? Yeah, when you came down and I said that they were coming and you, you didn't just... You didn't just do a side eye. You you made that eye rolling face. And then you were like, oh, so you won't have to do the morning misery by yourself. <laughs> and, I was, and so that's the only point I was making was that mm -hmm. it's clear that you wanted me to suffer. And so to be no, fair, I want you to share. No, I want you to share some of my experiences. Okay, I so, want, and I want so, to know that if I Denny on you, you can handle these children without me. OK, so, so to be clear, also, it's not like I don't handle them without you and it's not that i'm incapable of it and i did not call them and ask for help the point was no they, here's what happened live... his dad called him yeah. and then he called he said no at first but then he was like nah never mind I'm gonna call <laughs> no i honestly i know you yes, can make a joke out of this you can make a joke out of this and pretend oh, no, like 
be my thorn because I realized that was no, me. no, no. I was, not... why should I care? Like my in-laws are great. They're getting time with my children. That was the reason why I called. I them, understood that. Was like, I don't need the help. Like I took all the kids to and from the dentist this morning. Like I, when you are sick on other occasions, when you're sick on other occasions, I can take care of the kids. I, I can take them to school in the morning and get them all out and do everything. And how I've many times a year have to... you taken all of them to school though? Out of curiosity. I don't know, like three or so, four. Really? Maybe? All of them you've taken? All both? You've oh, taken? maybe once or twice. I don't know. However many times I'm capable of it. I did it in the morning that that you weren't here. My he said, I didn't even wake, wake my parents up. I didn't. I I didn't. <laughs> not that I was going to wake them up, but they were not <laughs> awake. But he made sure to tell me about it. Because I knew you wanted me to suffer. So I was telling you like. I'm so glad you did, baby. So I was telling you that I suffered because it would make you happy. And <laughs> Thank you. And, and he so, just wants me to be happy. I mean, I've taken them to I took them to Six Flags over the summer. And that day we went to Six Flags. We went go car racing. We went um, laser tagging all the different places. And this we is went kind of Six starting Flags. to sound like I have a black friend. Like there's that one time I did this <laughs> one thing. I have this one reference point. Nah, there are lots I'm of joking. reference points. I'm I joking. I'm, t- I'm joking. You are a great father. You are a great father. I don't care. Like if the point I've gotten in my life is that I just wanted to point out that I was right. That's it. Yeah, you're always right. You're I know I'm a wrong. great father. You're never wrong. And Guys, remember, can we can we do a callback before I get back to Grey's Anatomy to the episode where where I suggested that he wasn't planning anything for Valentine's Day and he hounded me about, no, but I got you a gift. Nope. Do you guys want no me to tell you what the <laughs> gift is? I don't know what the gift is that he got so defensive about telling me he got yep, me this was weeks ago because it hasn't bad. come yet. So I I mean, you know, but I don't like I said then it wasn't about the gift. It was about the experience. And you did end up cooking a really great steak. I had told him to order food just because he was busy recording he had like multiple recordings that night and the kids were busy. So I was like, no need. Like, let's just who wants to have to clean the kitchen and whatever. Let's just order food. The one thing I'll say is had you ordered food, we probably would have had dessert. You know, my favorite meal is dessert so and if you're doing uh, something nice for me on valentine's oh, so day i missed the dessert mm. but it's okay because i'm gonna get a valentine's day present maybe around march maybe around, for my like, birthday. what's that st patrick's day so i'm gonna yeah. get a present on his birthday as if he's not already the present um but i love yeah, you and i don't care that was bad that was bad but me it was just funny because you really got on me about like i planned something this year I and like, I did. so a a i didn't plan something and b my gift didn't even arrive so yeah i failed this but we're not day. big gift givers so like that he did think to order a gift was really like different you know and sweet um but anyway, can I tell you how I know I'm not super crazy with Grey's Anatomy? So I carpool kids to parties a lot. This weekend, I think we had like four birthday parties between our kids. Um, and all of them were over 30 minutes away. Um, and so I have lots of time, right? So to have two 12-year-olds in the car yesterday, like I've known, obviously my daughter forever, but her friend who's so sweet since kindergarten. And so like they no, were- my daughter um, forever is a great sentence, by the way. <laughs> I, as saying, I I'm mentioned, com- they're comfortable I, around me, and I'm I met her first. Me. I took the snap, even though your father tried to try to meet her before that me. That is disgusting, Dominique. It's that true. He was trying to get under my center. My father's my and father's like, a doctor. And that don't mean nothing. That don't mean that he could take the snap. But it was really weird. He did stay my in the baby room when the baby was born. Not only did he stay in the room, not only did he stay in the room. He helped the med student lift my leg. <laughs> my whole life, though, if I say, if I'd be like, mom, can you put tampons on the grocery list? Like when we were growing up um, in a house with three daughters and one boy, he'd be like, that's so tacky. Why would you say that word out loud? <laughs> only to then watch Avery be oh, born, yeah. which, you know, we can. We can he was tapping me. He was tapping me like. 
don't, don't, don't miss, miss it. it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Like, Do not go back to that. Like, Thank you. Um, even though I like watching Grey's Anatomy, I don't like thinking about things like that. But so they were playing Would You Rather in the car, Avery and her friend. And one of their Would You Rather questions was, um, would you rather, this was Avery asking Kaya, would you rather have um, kind of a basic day, a basic life, I think it was, living in your favorite TV show, like a normal life or mm-hmm. an amazing real life? And without hesitating, at first I did picture myself like being like a backup basic doctor, not Meredith, not Maggie, no one too exciting on Grey's Anatomy. And I was like, I could, I could be a surgeon on Grey's Anatomy guys and like no Meredith and Maggie in them. But I was like, any day I choose this amazing real life with you guys. So that's the only reason I know that I'm not fully crazy because I didn't even, I did think about it, but I didn't hesitate to know my answer. So that was a would you rather. I'm sure yours would be amazing real life too. Um, so I yeah. want to ask you that question. I mean, also like there are... I don't know. TV shows are full of conflict. I can't think of a TV show that I would actually want to live in. Like uh, my life has a lot less conflict than a TV show. Yeah. Okay. I have a couple more. Would you rather one of this is another one I'm stealing from them. For you, this is easy. The, the Their original question is easy. Would you rather not have a screen for two years or not have any sweet or dessert for the rest of your life? Any sleep or dessert? Any sweet or dessert? Oh, like yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Get them yeah, out You of would here. definitely choose keep your screen. Honestly, yeah. I would be so conflicted. What if it was not have tequila for the rest of your life or a scream for two years? Other than what you need to do for work. You yeah, I'm good. You say bye to the tequila. I, keep, I, yeah, mean, I don't know. I think I'd be on a challenge to keep. Like, I can't imagine not having anything sweet for the rest of my life. But then what if my life is only like a couple of days long? Like, I don't know. It would be sad. Okay. Well, then it's either way. It's sad. This was another one of theirs. Would you rather have to walk on Legos for five minutes or on worms for five minutes? Worms. Yeah, I'm definitely choosing Legos. Um, <laughs> I'll take the pain. That would be gross. They'd be smushing under your feet and you'd be killing things. Oh, well. Circle of life. Last one. Would you rather live on the same block with all of our family or live like a five hour drive away from everyone, but the rest of them are all near each other? I know what you would choose, and uh, I would have to choose that, too, I think. Oh, because you need them to come over when you have to watch the kids for 18 hours. Of course, you'd rather live on the same block with them. Well done. Well done. I think we could end it there with that perfect dismount. You're getting good at this. You're going to leave me for a new um, podcast. If there are any other podcast hosts out there who want to work with me, the trick is we only come up with things to talk about, like, three while we're in the zoom waiting room um <laughs> and by we i mean me like i I was like avery bring me a pen when i was waiting for you to sign in and started writing down some of her would you rathers that i could remember um you know what i might be looking for a new co-host i don't know let's see i mean you might be all right well i love you not a new husband though even yeah. if jalen hurts were on one knee nope not I, for me. he got a girlfriend i think right okay good for her i'm happy for her <laughs> you said <laughs> never seen you that jealous <laughs> never <laughs> seen you that jealous in your life alright appreciate you buddy I'll see you I'll be upstairs in a moment this is the Dominique Foxworth show